Welcome to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast, the show by and for female millennial entrepreneurs who are building and running thriving, successful businesses while living life to the fullest. I'm your host, Alessandra Polina. I'm so excited to have Nicole Peterkin, owner and founder of Peterkin Financial, here with us today to talk all about the fun stuff, finances, money, all of that good stuff that like we all just need to talk about more, I think. So thanks for joining us today, Nikki. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to talk to you. Me too. Um, I want to start by just hearing kind of the beginning of your business, how you started it, how you kind of got into this. I think maybe it's my own personal misconception, but I have a feeling a lot of people might have it too. But like, it just when you think of money and finances and like a financial advisor and all of that stuff, like picture like an old man, like I just can't even imagine. <laughs> and it feels so hard and like scary, I think to so many of us, if we've, if we're really not in that world that to imagine like starting a business and it just feels like so weird and impossible to me. So <laughs> I'm so interested to hear how you got into it, how you, yeah, how you started a business with that and where it came about. And then obviously I want to get more into like how you actually work with people too and, and much more, but start with like, how did you first decide to open your own business? Okay. So I didn't set out thinking that I was going to be an entrepreneur or, you know, own a financial planning practice or anything like that. Growing up, I always thought that I would be a doctor or have like a pretty conventional job, meaning like doctor, lawyer, engineer, like that's kind of what my dad and his siblings, like that's, that's kind of the jobs in our family, I guess. Um, so I always thought that I was going to be a doctor. I went to BU into a pre-med program and my dad just like went to sleep one night, didn't wake up the next morning. And I was like, okay, like time to reevaluate my life. Mm. Um, and I just started thinking that like one of the things that was like a core characteristic of my dad was that he's super type A, he's an engineer, he was always kind of like climbing the corporate ladder. It was that like work hard, work hard, work hard, get the promotions, like get a good corporate job with a good company. And then one day you'll be able to retire and enjoy like the fruits of your labor. And then mm -hmm. seeing my dad pass away at 47, it just wasn't like that. So I started reevaluating everything. And I was taking some business classes. I wasn't really sure. I mean, you know, like business is so vague. You can get a degree in business, but like, what does that mean? Like, yeah. what are you actually doing? What are you actually building? But I got really, really lucky. And the year that I was doing my undergrad in business, I got the opportunity to work at a corporate bank. So I kind of thought that even though I was pivoting from medicine to business, which I thought would give me more lifestyle in that instead of having to go to school for like 12 years and do a residency and do all of that and kind of be a slave to a hospital for, you know, most of my young life, um, that I could just do like a four-year degree, maybe get my master's and then um, work for a corporation. And working at that corporate bank, I realized that like a lot of my coworkers were, you know, they had families, they, you know, had the nice house in the nice neighborhood and that kind of thing. But they were kind of always complaining that they like, couldn't make it to the daughter's ballet recital and like the office politics and all of that kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, great. Like, mm. 
these people, they might not be in school until they're 40, but um, everyone's complaining about like how many hours they have to work, how much they're getting paid and their lack of lifestyle and the, the lack of vacation. And it just started getting me thinking that I really wanted to start a business. I obviously didn't know how or didn't have any good ideas. But at that time, it was kind of like what was available was like sales positions. So it was like, you can sell real estate, like you can be a realtor, it's commission only, you can sell mutual funds or investments and like work for like a, you know, Merrill Lynch or JP Morgan, you can sell insurance and work for like a Northwestern Mutual or Mass Mutual or something like that. And so I kept looking for opportunities and all the opportunities were kind of like commission only sales. Hmm. So I kept turning away from that. But then ultimately, somebody who was a recruiter with a life insurance company ended up convincing me that I could, you know, help people with their money and like do comprehensive financial planning by starting my business there. And I kind of took the bait and it went from there. So that really resonated with me because when my dad passed away, you know, we, you know, had the nice house and the, you know, rich neighborhood and, you know, the three cars in the garage and my parents helping to pay for college and all of that kind of thing. And it kind of just seemed like my parents had it all together. Like my dad was the guy who people would ask for stock advice and all of that. He's like a really smart guy. So people would ask him for money advice and all of this kind of thing. And then when he passed away, it was during the recession. It was like 2008, 2009. And, uh, he didn't have all his financial stuff together. So I thought it was a natural transition that I would be able to help people who were high earners, really smart, thought they knew everything, but, you know, really weren't optimizing their money. I thought that that would be a really good niche for me. I just didn't know how to build that business. But that's kind of where it started with me being like 21 years old with no network, no money, no nothing, but just knowing that I wanted some lifestyle and freedom and that just helping people with you know, their money, giving people the advice that I felt like my parents didn't have was really appealing to me. Yeah, totally. I love that. I mean, it's such a like personal reason for going into something like that. Mm -hmm. So 21, you said, did you start the actual business when you were 21 or were there a couple more steps kind of in between deciding that and then, and then getting there? No, I mean, I was basically, I want to say I was 20. I might've been 22. My birthday's in June. I don't know like exactly what the timing was of the of my graduation, but basically oh, but you started it right then, right after, yeah. right after you graduated, basically. Cause that job had been during, during college. Yeah. It was like during my senior year, I was working at the corporate bank and really I like, I was doing the pre-med program and then all my like biology, organic chemistry, blah, 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 all transferred over somehow. So I actually didn't have to do any more school because I switched over to business, which people are always like, Oh, did you get a finance degree? And I'm like, yeah, technically I what did one year of just like my corporate finance wow. required courses. So it's not that hard. Nothing. It's not that hard, but like we all, can admit to some degree that like a lot of your training is on the job training in many, many fields. And I really don't believe that finance is any different. Like what I learned in that year of doing corporate finance was nothing that I apply in my daily life now. Wow. So where do you, so you basically had to do a lot of learning on your own. It sounds like, cause obviously you have to know, you had to know something before clients would start to work with you. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, part of the structure with like the financial world is that, and it still kind of is like this, although it's a lot different. I mean, I started my business in 2011 and it's like 2020 now. So it's been like nine years, almost 10 years. 
So part of how things were back then, and it kind of still is in like banking and finance, is that it's really product focused. So you need to learn the product. So what I did was I said to clients since I was so young and I was starting out, I didn't feel embarrassed to say like, hey, look, I know, you know, these products really, really, really well, but I don't necessarily know if they fit you, but I'm willing to ask questions. I'm willing to really understand your situation. And if I don't know the answer to something, then I'll find out. So if I don't really, I, you know, I hadn't bought a house yet, but like, I don't know about investment properties, but I'll call, you know, as many mortgage brokers as I need to, as many real estate agents as I need to, and try to figure out what the process is and figure out what the costs are for you and like help move you through that financial transaction. You know, I'll learn with you. If I don't know something, I'll ask and I won't pretend. And so that was really, really valuable. That was really smart of me to do. In yeah. respect. And it was really, really valuable to my learning. Yeah. You were able to use like every client you had as like an extra learning experience, almost like, like an, as an extra, like, I don't know, MBA or (laughs) course in the financial management, like that certain sector or a specific, whatever product-based thing. So now after a couple, I mean, probably after only a couple of months, you would start to be really familiar with some of those things and be able to bring that knowledge to the newer next clients that you started working with. Right. I mean, when you think about finances, the first thing that most people want to talk about is investments, right? So it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, where should I invest my money? How should I invest my money? You don't need to know everything about money and finances to be able to explain to a client, like, this is an S&P 500 index fund. Here's what it costs. Here's how it works. Here's what's in the S&P. And so like, people are really intimidated by money. Like what you said earlier, Alessandra of like, Oh my God, like how would you build a bit? Finances are so intimidating. Like how would you build a business around that? And it's like, well, I feel like people think that money is intimidating because they feel out of their element. And there's kind of like a stigma around like talking about how much you make and how you spend it and how you earn it and what financial decisions you make. And so all of that, like emotional stuff, that gets tied into money, I think makes it more intimidating. But like, mm-hmm. at a baseline, it's like, well, how much do you want to invest? How much do you want to grow it to? What are the risks? Do you want to, you know what I mean? Like, do you want to do this? Yes. Okay. Let me help you. No. Okay. What's the alternative? It's not like that hard, right? I mean, I mean, I don't know. It's still sad. Okay, <laughs> I guess yeah, yeah. I want to get back into that. And I actually do want to go there in a minute, okay. but I want to hear like, two more seconds just on like building the business up. Cause I mean, you made that sound really easy and I just, I just don't buy it. Like, <laughs> no, like it how did you find your first couple of clients and was any, where like, I just feel like being such a young woman in the field, like, was that ever something that people mentioned to you was like, was there anything around that or were client clients basically like open to that? And they loved that you had that like go getter attitude and were able to do you know, all the research and things like that was that it, that was enough to like kind of bring people on board. And what did that look like in terms of like, you know, going from the first couple of clients, which I know are always kind of the hardest to get and then building the business up to like what it is today in terms of like your client base. Cause I know you have an interesting like model around that. I feel like, or I mean, I don't know, maybe it's standard, but it seems interesting to me from what I've, <laughs> what I've heard you talk about it before. Yeah, yeah. So I don't want to pretend that it was easy building this business. It wasn't at all. But the main thing, I got brought in through an insurance company. And I have lots to say about that, but I won't. Um, (laughs) And basically, 
the person who recruited me in said, you know, you don't have to sell any insurance if you don't want to, blah, blah, blah. And like, that was all well and good with me because like my dad had just died. I didn't want to be walking around selling insurance policies. I really didn't understand it. I mean, I understood that like my dad had some life insurance and like, because of that, we were okay, but I didn't feel comfortable like having conversations to like convince people that they wanted to spend $20 a month so that if they died, then their family wasn't, you know, shit out of luck. So he kind of, this guy who was not the most uh, honest person in the world said that I didn't have to sell any insurance policies. Uh, I could do planning and that I could like do investments and I can do retirement products and that kind of stuff. So what ended up happening is I got all my licenses right away. So right off the bat, I like did all like the school learning to be able to get my licenses. And that kind of overlapped with the semester that I graduated and with me still working at the corporate bank. So like I was still working at the corporate bank and I was like studying to be able to get my licenses to be able to sell stuff. Mm -hmm. But my whole intention was to be able to do planning. So of course, like nobody was asking me like, can I buy a life insurance policy or can I buy an investment from you or can I do whatever? And how the company that I was affiliated with worked is that they really like indoctrinated you into like, you're running your own business, that whole like idea of you're running your own business. And that probably ended up being really, really good for me. Because it was, there's no salary ever, like day one, you have no salary, you are just kind of like a realtor, you like eat what you kill, basically, you're only on commission. And we had to pay for like our training, our software, if you wanted to be able to work out of a cubicle in the office, you had to pay for your cubicle, like you literally had to pay for everything, starting out from zero. And, and they didn't like give you any leads or anything like you would have to like buy leads or cold call or that kind of thing. And so my manager or whoever, like the guy who was above me, who basically made like a percentage of my commissions, who's the one who recruited me, he kind of said, okay, you know, here's what you have to do. I knew that I didn't want to cold call. So what I did is I just like leaned into networking and I know that people have different experiences with networking. But basically what I did was I just literally called every single person that I had ever like worked with, went to school with, like volunteered with just since I was like 16, like anyone who was like in my network, like friends, parents, whatever. And like, I would literally call and say, you know, I'm starting this business. I'm not trying to sell you. Like, I don't want you to become a client, but in order for me to be able to build a business as like a young black, you know, woman who has no network and is super young, like the only way I'm going to be able to do this is if everyone knows what I'm doing so that I can get referrals because like Mm -hmm. this company would talk about referrals all the time. And I know people talk about referrals and it's like kind of BS, but like, I really believed that like, if people knowing who who I am and how I am and and like how I've like performed in life or whatever, like how I do things. If people know what I'm doing and I get to explain what I'm doing, then there's no way that like, they won't know somebody that could benefit from from working with me or from a referral to me. So I literally was scheduling like 40 hours a week, sometimes more of just like meetings, phone calls, whatever with people who I just explained to them, like the kind of products that I had, the kind of things that I was trying to do. And I would just say to them, like, you know, if you know anybody who has any questions about buying a house, retirement, paying down debt, insurance, anything, any financial decision, if I don't know the right answer, I will find it for them. And so what ended up happening is because I was constantly talking about referrals from the beginning, and I really strongly believed that like referrals were how I was going to build my business. And I really wasn't trying to like, 
sneakily get a meeting with somebody to try to sell them something. I really did want them to refer me to somebody. Mm-hmm. I ended up like probably two of those people who I had those meetings with became clients themselves because they were like, well, yeah, I do want you to help me. And those two people ended up referring me to other people, some of who hired me. And so like my first year in business, I ended up making like just under a hundred grand. Wow. Um, yeah. And it was from like, those call like it wasn't from networking groups it wasn't from any kind of voodoo it was literally like if you saw my calendar for that first year it was like I don't think I made any money period like not even a dollar for like the first six months aside from like my boyfriend's you know grandmother or something like you know something small you know what I mean like just to help me I didn't legitimately make any money like my first six months or so, but then it kind of just like exploded and it's because I just kept having those meetings. And like I said, I was like building my confidence, but I was also like, okay, how the hell am I going to do that again? Mm. Cause it's like, I was like selling stuff, which a lot of people in the financial industry just sell stuff, believe it or not. Like they sell investments or they sell insurance or insurance products. Um, and when you sell stuff, just like a realtor, like if you sell 50 houses this year, like, the people who bought 50 houses from you this year probably aren't going to each buy one from you next year. Right. So what the heck do you do? You have to always be looking for more people every single time. Unless you can find a way for them to continue with something else. Right. Which felt kind of like sleazy to me. I mean, one of the things that like really started burning me out, like really early on, like my first couple of years, I probably my first year is that like, just like a realtor like it's so similar it's like just like a realtor it's like if somebody's like oh you know I I want to rent an apartment and my budget's only $500 like you're like oh my god how the hell are you gonna find an apartment that's only $500 but you're so desperate because you're so new that like you're really gonna try to find somebody something that's $500 and you're gonna drive them all over creation and then you finally find something that's within their budget and then they don't want it anymore Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I felt the same way. It's like, I felt like I couldn't turn anyone away. So if somebody was like, I want to put $50 in an investment account, then it's like, okay, I just made five cents, but okay, I'm going (laughs) to drive to your house, meet with you for an hour or two, then drive home. Then I have to come back for another hour or two to convince you to put your $50 in this account and that what I'm recommending is the right thing. And then I have to do all your stupid paperwork and then I have to answer all your phone calls for the next five years when you might not ever put another dollar in the, in the account. For the five cents that you made. Literally. But that's just, beggars can't be choosers and you don't know what you're going to get. And sometimes I sit down with somebody and like what they really needed was to like refinance their mortgage or they really needed Mm. a budget. Like I don't get paid for telling you that you need to refinance your mortgage or for helping you with a budget. But I was like, well, maybe if I help them now, then down the line, they'll buy something from me. And like, that's just what it was. It was like, okay, my time is not worth, not that it's not worth anything, but like, yeah, when you're starting out early, you'll kind of take anything and like you need to put in time at a loss and like everyone does that and that's kind of like part of the learning process so totally that's what I did and it sucked but um, (laughs) so that's what kind of started you know I started getting burnt out and being like I can't be the all these people like think that I'm their financial advisor supposedly like they they (laughs) would literally tell their friends that they have a financial advisor even though they put $50 in account once and they have no problem calling me to say like where should I put my savings where should I do whatever and it's great that they trusted me that way especially like wow that's so great that you're in your like mid-20s 
and so many people trust you with their money. But I got to the point where I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to get out of bed because my phone's going to ring 20 times and like I need to figure out how I'm going to eat this month. And most of my revenue was not recurring. And so Mm -hmm. I started trying to like figure out like, okay, I'm helping people with planning and the planning that I'm doing with them is helping them achieve their goals, but me helping them with their budgeting and refinancing their mortgage and paying down their debt and figuring out like whether or not they should incorporate their business or not. I don't get paid for any of that stuff, but that stuff is really, really valuable. So there has to be a way that I can charge for this stuff. And I started like talking about that and asking about that like two years in or three years in. I started saying like, okay, how can I get paid for planning? How can I get paid to help Mm -hmm. people with all of those financial decisions and like the older white guys that you referenced earlier on um, of like what you think of when you think of a financial advisor, like those guys were like, keep doing what you're doing. You know, that's how it works. Like we all do that. Like a lot of those guys, like, yeah, get to a point where you have a thousand clients and the more clients you have, you just hire an assistant who makes like 30 grand a year, 40 grand a year, whatever. And your assistant's whole job is to like deal with the lower end clients and to do like all the paperwork and stuff so that you can run around with it like a chicken with your head cut off. And if you build that enough, then like you will end up getting like over time, if you're helping people, people will end up making more money or inheriting money or Mm -hmm. selling their house and needing to invest it or whatever. So if you can just stay in business long enough and pay the salaries long enough and grow your clients big enough, you know what I mean? Like then normal people, who don't have that much money will come into money at some point. And if you've been helping them all of that time, they'll like presumably do business with you. Yeah. They're going to stick with you, but that's a lot of time to put in to get there. (laughs) Right. And I didn't want to do that. So these guys were kind of like, you don't want people to pay you for planning. Like the reason why you make such good money is because people don't know what they're paying you. Not really in that way. Like that Mm -hmm. kind of sounds sleazy, but it's like, when you go buy a car at the Mercedes dealership, like you don't know how much the sales guy is making. Mm-hmm. If you did, you might say something because obviously it's coming from somewhere. You're getting less of a good deal or something like there's something going on there. But there are a lot of financial transactions in our lives that like you have no clue who's making what, what you're actually paying, what you're actually getting, what the dynamics mm-hmm. are. And so that's kind of how the financial world is. So these guys were telling me like, no, 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 no. You don't <laughs> want to charge the client money because if the client had to pay you, you're not going to get a check for 30 grand you're going to get a check for $300 because a client can't pay 30 grand or they're going to question or whatever. It's like a weird money dynamic. Go figure. Yeah. It would be really yeah. weird for people to talk about money with their financial <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> oh my God. So they were kind of pushing against that and they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to get paid for planning, you can charge a fee for a plan, which like to them a plan is, this is like common in the industry too. It's like people pay for a plan like everything doesn't change every month or two or three or five or year. Like everything changes Mm. all the time for us. Right. Like, but it's like, Oh, just give me a plan. Here's my pay stub based on how much I make, how much should I save and invest for retirement and blah, blah, blah. And so like advisors will charge, you know, $2,500 or $3,500 or, you know, it depends on the advisor. Some advisors charge a thousand bucks or 500 bucks for a plan. And the whole point of the plan is that now you have this booklet that can tell you what you should do, how much you should save, how much you should invest. It assumes that nothing changes except for that you get older. Yeah. But that's kind of what people were charging for. So I was fighting Mm -hmm. to charge for planning, but I really, really found it hard to know what to charge, how to charge for what. And so I went from initially just charging for a plan 
but then still having to do planning and still having one foot in the door with like the sales stuff to like, now I charge for planning, which is like, I might not ever give somebody a printed out booklet. It's more like, okay, I looked at all of your finances, you know, here are the highest priority items. And like, as things change, you know, I'm here, you can ping me, you know, what's going on with you? And what do you need help mm. with? And it's a more fluid, like, I get emails all the time, like, okay, you know, I just got laid off. Here's my severance. I've been interviewing with other companies. Like, can you review this offer letter for me? Or like things like that. Mm. Like my business is, you know, the company that I work for just gave me these, you know, I get stock options granted to me. Like, should I sell these or not? You know, my business is starting mm. to make more money. Should I, I asked my accountant if I should, you know, become an S corp or if I should stay an LLC and they kind of aren't giving me a straight answer and nobody can really give me a straight answer. Like, can, can you help me figure this out? So it's like all of these different things yeah. really like advocate for you and give you their opinion with no conflict of interest. That person is me. And so that's like what I've been trying to charge for all along. And that's what I charge for now. And now I don't have 500 clients. I have less than 50 clients and it's just a completely different ball game. And it is hard because some people value having that one person who knows everything about your financial situation and can answer your questions on the drop of a dime. You can text me at any time and schedule a meeting with me and I can help you work through it. And other people are kind of like, okay, well, I wanted to buy a house this year and get married and do all of this other stuff. And now that I did all that, I don't really know if I want to pay you every year. Mm -hmm. And I try to like weed those people out from the beginning to say like, this is an ongoing relationship and like, I'll let you hire me if you want somebody who gives you this kind of relationship. But I mean, obviously things change. And so, you know, it's not my ideal is to have, you know, 50 or 60 families who, you know, I do planning for, for like the next 20 or 30 years and really help them achieve like their most important goals over time and keep them on track. But like, yeah. it might not happen. They might fire me. I might fire them. But, but right either now, way, you don't need to be having 500 at a time. So even if something happens with like five of them every year, you kind of just can let in five new ones and only have to get used to a couple of new clients a year. And you've kind of got a good base going either way. Right. And so that's like, there's more, it's good for me as a business owner because there's more predictability in my revenue. There's more predictability in how I spend my time. I know what's going on with my clients. Um, when somebody's in just like a normal year where not much is going on, then I have three meetings, a, like three meetings a year with them where it's like an hour or so to check in. So in advance of the meeting, I tell them what I want to talk about or what I think, you know, I'd like to talk about. I ask them what they want to talk about. We meet for the hour. I get to say hi, see their faces, whatever, and like go over any important um, planning needs. So like, okay, did you just file your taxes? What's going on with that? Do you have any, you know, is there anything that I need to be aware of? Are there any deadlines that you need to be aware of? Like what, you know, what is the most pertinent planning like item based on where we are in the year? If we're mm -hmm. in the beginning of the year, it's different than if we're in the end of the year or if we're in the summer. And then I send them follow-up. And sometimes their follow-up is homework for them. Sometimes it's homework for me. Sometimes it's just a summary of, like, what we discussed. But so many times I get back from the clients, like, oh, my God, it's just so nice to, like, hear from you that we're still on track or that, you know, you think that we're doing better than we thought or that you made a suggestion that we, you know, 
take out a home equity line. Like we didn't think of that. We're like really excited that like, you know, we have this option or whatever. It could be anything. Yeah. Um, People like the validation, I imagine. Like the validation of knowing that they're like just paying attention to stuff and like being on top of it and that somebody looked at it and said they're doing the right thing or that they should be doing this thing. Well, right. Because you look around and you see like, you think that you're doing pretty good. And then you look at your friends who like go on vacation, you know, every single month to like these Mm -hmm. exotic places and they're putting down a like down payment on like a million dollar condo. And you're like, Whoa, what's wrong with us? That like, we like, Mm -hmm. why aren't we driving the Range Rovers and like going on all these vacations and stuff? Like, what am I missing? Like, are we just, do we just suck? Like, are we doing much worse (laughs) than everyone around us? And it's like, no, like you don't know what their money looks like behind the scenes, but like, you're on track for your retirement and you can put down a 20% down payment on the next place that you buy if you want to. And like just all of these different, you know, it's, it's what's important to you. And so a lot of like the planning that we do is goal planning around like, okay, what are you trying to achieve? What's important to you, but also what are opportunities available that you might not know about? Cause you might not know that like, even though you just refinanced your house last year, it makes sense for you to probably look at refinancing again because rates dropped so much. Like, how would you know that if you're, you know, a web designer and your, you know, husband owns like a leather manufacturing business or something? Like, how would you know that? You would never know that. And you just don't have time to like be looking into that stuff or even be thinking about it with everything else going on. No. And if you thought about it, if you were like, hey, my buddy said that I should refinance and you didn't have me, then it's like, okay, you know, somebody mentioned that you should refinance great. With what bank? Where? What do I not know that I need to know? Like now you're doing all this research and reaching out to different people and potentially just going with whatever's easiest instead of having somebody who like just had 10 other clients do this and knows like five different mortgage brokers that I can just pick up the phone and call and say, hey, based on this person's situation, would your bank help them? They're like, nope, go to this one. You know, Mm -hmm. like it's just a different situation so clients like when there's nothing really going on in their lives or not nothing but like when there's no big changes or like um lifestyle happenings then we meet three times a year but otherwise like I might talk to somebody once a month depending on what's going on in their life and so Mm -hmm. it's just a flat fee and sometimes some years I feel like I talk to people every day even though I don't and (laughs) some years not but um why that's good for me is that like I can group all my client meetings into certain parts of the year so that I can like build momentum. I know that like if I'm meeting with, you know, 40 clients over the next four weeks, there's something that a client might say like in meeting four that triggers me to like help them through something that I didn't even know. You know what I mean? Like I didn't know that like you can buy a car right now for 1.99% interest with some bank that wasn't really on my radar, but now that I just helped somebody do it, then every other client who I'm saying like, what's going on? What's on your mind? What's on your radar? If somebody's like, yeah, we really need a new car. I literally just mm. talked to somebody about that two days ago. And I can say like, really? Because one of my clients just went to this bank and they're offering this and it seems like you guys have similar credit. So is that something that you really want to consider right now? If so, let's talk about what you can afford and what makes sense or do you want to table it? And so just me, it's not like me being like, all-knowing or something like it's just you get into a groove and like because I only have you know 43 clients to worry about it's really easy for me to like text somebody and say like hey you know did you ever buy that car did you have this person look at your insurance because you know one of my other clients who has your insurance coverage like just saved 500 bucks I don't know if you could do the same thing but 
you know, you have somebody who's proactively like not forcing you, but like <laughs> talking to you about things and letting you know if there's opportunities and I can help track down those opportunities and help you implement what we're talking about with minimal time from you. So yeah, it sounds like something everybody could use. So, and that's like a yearly fee. So, you know, exactly what we're getting every year from all of these clients, assuming that they're going to continue on long-term also. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, assuming that everyone renews and I know what months I'm making, what money and, Mm. you know, structure in terms of like structuring my business, like early on, I thought like, I'll be successful when I don't have to work Fridays. And then I started thinking like, all right, well, I really don't want to ever have to see a client on a Monday. Not that Monday scaries are like a real thing or Sunday scaries or whatever, but like I don't like having to do work on Sunday to plan my week. Like I'd rather have Monday empty so I can like sit down with my calendar and get things done and like not have to worry about back-to-back phone calls or meetings or anything. So like I have blocked off on my calendar that like I don't see clients on Monday and I almost never take them unless it's like a you know, unique situation. So Mm -hmm. I have a lot more control over like my time and my lifestyle. And because I know what's going on with clients, and if I know I'm going on vacation, I can say like, hey, I know that you're dealing with this. Do you need anything from me? Like, and I love everyone. And it's so cool to like, help them achieve whatever their specific financial like life goals are. That like, if somebody just puts in an offer on a house, and I'm on vacation, like, yeah, text me, (laughs) call me, whatever, I'll answer. I'm not gonna be like, oh, this person, like, it's like, I'm really excited. (laughs) Right. Because you actually like all your clients. That's, that is an amazing thing (laughs) for any client based, any service based business. So that in itself is like incredible. I, I mean, I just love how you kind of found ways to turn the business around and figured out ways to make it so well, successful, but also just like, like successful for the lifestyle that you wanted and like for the type of business that you wanted, even though everyone said it wasn't going to even make sense. I, I think that's so cool. And I love it. I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit to ask like some of that, like everything you said, honestly, just sounded like, Oh wait, I need that. Oh, I should be doing that. Oh, yeah. that would be so good to know more about. Um, so for like people who are probably young women and people in general, like starting out life, you know, maybe buying a house, maybe getting married, maybe starting families, but also business owners. Like, is there anything that's a little different when it comes to like people who are business owners, or especially like maybe small business owners or solopreneurs like that you recommend to keep in mind? Because I just feel like that makes the money stuff more complicated in general. And again, maybe that's just something that's in my head, but (laughs) you know, like when you're in charge of not only in charge of your money, but actually like responsible for your salary. And maybe it's not a steady salary every month. Maybe things fluctuate, things change around, or you're building your business. And right now you're not making that much money, but you know, hopefully in a couple of months you will be, or it's the type of business where you have like a big launch and you make a bunch of money in, you know, one month, and then you're not expecting to really have a steady revenue the next couple months. Like, I just feel like there's so many like variables and things up in the air with that but is there anything that you kind of like recommend people think about or, or just what does that look like from like a financial planning perspective, like any kind of recommendations that you make for people like that of like what they should do if they haven't ever kind of done any financial planning or like really thought about their money? Yeah. I mean, so 
the good thing is more than half of my clients are small business owners and they're like really small, but they're kind of like me. Like I'm a one man show right now. And so um, you'll manage, you'll do like their, is it like all combined or is it like you kind of manage their personal money or whatever? And then also like their business finances or do you kind of, how does that work? And then, and then say whatever else you were going to say. <laughs> you were yeah. going somewhere else with that. I mean, I mean, it is kind of all combined. The whole thing is, is that whenever I see, so I'm an, a part of a bunch of different like Facebook groups for small business entrepreneurs and small businesses. Mm-hmm. And the thing that people always say is like, I need somebody to help me with my business finances. I need somebody to help me with my business finances. And it's like, no, I'm sorry. You might <laughs> think that you need somebody to help you with your business finances, but you need somebody to help you with your personal finances mm. because the entire point of running a business is to have income, right? Is to support your personal goals. And a lot of times that really is just like taking an honest look at your systems, you know, at what you're spending and then seeing whether or not you're getting closer or further away or like stagnant towards your goals and then trying to figure out what we need to do to change that. So it's like, it is business, but it's not like, do you need this kind of business insurance or not? Although I do look at that and would refer somebody out to like, you know, have their business insurance looked at if they can save money there and make sure that they're properly protected from like a risk standpoint or whatever. Like I'm definitely Mm -hmm. a second set of eyes and like I give advice on those things. But a lot of the times it's just like, okay, so what's going on in your business? How is that supporting your overall goals? And like, does that work? Like if my business back in the day, I thought that I was going to build this business, that I was going to grow and that I was going to have other advisors and that we'd have staff. And instead of having, you know, 50 clients for myself, I would have three advisors and we'd each have 50 clients or like the firm would have 200 clients or something. And that I would Mm -hmm. grow this thing so that I could sell my business later. And now I'm just like, okay, why did I want to do that? Like, why did I want to sell my business? Like, why did I want to build something like that? Like, well, because other people told me that I should want that and that there should be value to your business and all this stuff. And, you know, after a couple failed attempts of like having like business partners who were other advisors and then hiring a junior advisor and paying them a salary and then also having some kind of profit sharing thing with them and then having like a full-time assistant, just me, like I realized that what I really want to do is learn about my client situations, help them with their planning directly. I really love planning, love like moving them towards their goals and being the point of contact. And I want to make enough money so that I can have a healthy business financial system and have a healthy personal financial system, which includes saving money for retirement and buying additional property so that when I decide that I want work to be optional, I can put a sign on my office door and say, sorry, I retired. (laughs) Not that I wouldn't tell my clients, but you know what I mean? Like I don't need to sell my business. My business is maybe a job that I really love. It's my career. I really love it. But like, is it a negative thing if like you don't monetize your business, maximize your business value to sell it to somebody else? Like, I just don't know that like my clients would want to work with somebody who I sold my business to. Like, right. It's so personal. That totally so, makes, or you could just scale it back to be like, oh, I want work optional. So I'm only going to take 10 clients this year, or I'm only going to take on like four clients and work with them, like have all the meetings at the beginning of the year or something like that. Like, I feel like you have so many options because the way you've done it and 
Yeah. You could make work optional however you want, or just make it be less. And that's because of how you've built it. I think that's so important. And also like the fact that you can change your mind, right? Like you thought initially you were going to want to make it bigger or different or build it up to sell it. And then you were like, hang on, I don't really need to do that. I'll be just as happy if I don't. And you know what, maybe like three years from now, you'll change your mind again and you can still build it up to that or change or change the model in some other way. And that's what's so perfect about it. I think it's important to, I've done a whole episode on like how important I think it is to just like keep checking in with yourself and like figuring out what you actually want right now and what you think you're going to want in the future, but then checking in on that again so that you're not just like so caught up in like those goals that you'd been working towards that you don't realize that you're not actually, that that's not actually still what you want once you've kind of gotten there or spent years working towards that. I used to think I wanted my business to be just me and to just not have to have anybody else to deal with basically in the back end of the business. And then, and then when I had my son, I was like, wait a minute, this is really hard. Like, I wish I had someone helping me so that my work could still be happening and the clients can still be getting the same amount of work, you know, same results, but I wouldn't have to be actually dealing with it all the time. And that's when I was like, oh, this is why people like build out more of an agency. (laughs) And I was like, wait, actually, that's what I want. And then I decided to build it more into that. But who knows, you know, you can go, I think in every different direction, depending on where your life is at the time. That's what's like the best part about building a business. Yeah, you can change your mind every single day, maybe not every single day, but you can change your (laughs) mind every year if you want to, right? Like you can have different like business iterations. And everything works. I mean, that's something that like, if I have not learned anything else in the last nine and a half years, it's that everything works. It's like somehow when I was Mm -hmm. renting a cubicle from that insurance company, I still had clients. When I had an office in like Waltham, I still had clients. I mean, when I had an office in Boston, I forget what my rent was, but it was like maybe a thousand dollars a month. Like Mm -hmm. now I pay like $2,500 a month, but I have clients who are in DC, South Carolina, Uh, New York, whatever. It's like those people have never, ever freaking come into my office before. So like if I didn't have an office, I would probably just be $30,000 a year richer. And And they would never notice or care. They would never notice. And and a client who really wants an advisor who has a big, nice office is probably not my person. So it's like I'm on a five-year lease now with my office, so I still have an office for the next year or two. I go into my office like one day a week, if that. However, it is what it is. I made the decision. At the end of my lease, I can buy a smaller office if I want to own a piece of commercial Mm. real estate, like a tiny one-room office. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I will rent at a WeWork or something. Who knows what life will be like then? Or maybe I'll go all virtual. I don't know. But like, that's the whole like thing that sucks about being in business is that everybody has a freaking opinion about every single thing that you do. And like well-meaning people will tell you that like you need this or that or whatever. And it's like, okay, that's why you need to keep your goals at the forefront because if your goals don't support you spending $30,000 on overhead, like, do you see clients in person that often? Do you really need over You know what I mean? If you don't have like the goal staring in the face and like the actual details hashed out, then you're going to like, you could potentially make like a lot of expensive decisions that like 
set you back from achieving your goals. It's not that you can't afford to do it or not, but it's like a lot of times, especially with business expenses, we tell ourselves that they're necessary. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I need to be located here. I need this kind of website or to do this kind of client appreciation or that kind of whatever. And it's like all of those things matter and they're part of your branding and your deliverable to clients and stuff. But like it all comes down to like what is or isn't profitable And if you're making 20 grand a year, I'm not even talking about business, just in general, if you're making 20 grand a year, like you probably can't afford to buy a Mercedes and it just is what it is. So you probably wouldn't even think about it. But -hmm. the thing that sucks as you grow your business and as your pay grows is that like now things that you wouldn't have even dreamt of spending money on before become accessible. And it's almost like, okay, well now that I can afford it, I should do it because I Mm. wanted this three years ago or five years ago and I couldn't have it then and I want it now. And it's like, okay, do you really want it now still? Or are you just telling yourself that like, now that you make this much money, you deserve it. Or like, it's something that you need to prove to yourself because that kind of emotional like game playing happens all the time. And it really has super, super negative consequences on people's like overall finances. And it doesn't make anyone happy. Like all the people who tell you what to do have no vested interest in what you do or don't do. But you have a vested interest. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's totally, and and again, it goes back to like checking in with yourself and making sure like, okay, maybe you even have been working towards like that certain car for the last three years and saving money every, you know, month or whatever for it. But like think long and hard and do you really still like feel like you're dying for that car or like maybe now you just have all this money saved and you could get something else or just like put it into another investment and you're actually going to be just as happy with that and you shouldn't just like go straight to the dealership because you're like, oh, I reached, I reached the amount or I reached the date and now I can get the thing I've been planning for. And you don't have to like feel bad for having changed your mind. It's not like a bad thing that you aren't going to get that car. It's like, maybe you just don't need it as much anymore, but it still served its purpose to get you to kind of work towards those goals and to save that money. And now you, now you have it. So it's still a win. A win-win. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm never the person I'm like the, probably the worst financial planner, prototype or whatever like profile like I think people expect that like if you're a financial planner and you're helping people with their money like you don't spend money on anything and you need to save everything and you're that person who like saved every penny of their allowance and whatever and like I always joke around that like when I was growing up I used to spend my whole allowance and my sister's like I would like convince my sister that she wanted like this t-shirt from Abercrombie or whatever (laughs) so like I am a total total spender and that's fine as long as I know what my goals are like it's not about like not buying the car because buying things are bad like it's more like what do you really want in life and putting your money towards those things and making sure that there is still left over so that you have an emergency fund and so that you you know have have financial security and have something to show for all your hard work so it's not just like well my business makes x amount of money every year and i work hard but i can't really do anything about it it's like me and my husband like spend money on like stuff that i think is crazy but other people probably don't, but maybe they do. Like we have season <laughs> tickets to the Celtics and that is like $12,000 a year. It's oh my gosh. Probably more than, yeah, it's probably more than that actually. It might actually be like 15, but it's like really, really expensive, right? Like, and we are in like a three-year contract on that or something. Like it's oh like I committed God. to spend, I'm not even joking. And we're in a time where like, 
it's the coronavirus pandemic now. So guess what? We can't even watch Celtics games and we're still freaking paying for it. Anyway. Oh my gosh. Another, another story. But, but did the- you love it? And it made you so happy. Like, last year at least like when you or when you first got yeah, it and we've you're been like doing this it. is totally worth it like it's not like you're like oh my gosh why are we paying this much it's like this is something that's really worth it for us we can afford it and so this is something we want to spend the money on exactly and so it's that and I want to say that because like I feel like there's so much shame around how you spend and there are so many people who are probably like oh my god that's like a mortgage payment. We don't even have a full season. That's a half season. Like, I'm not even joking. But, and we take Ubers into the garden. It's like $40 each way. We pay our $12 or whatever it is for a beer for like a tall, like, it's an expensive thing. But money is all about give and take, right? Like everyone, no matter how rich or poor they are, like everyone only has so much money. So if you spend money on one thing, you have less money to spend on another thing. One thing that like, I'm not shy at all about is like, I bought a multifamily house, you know, when I was like 24, 25, I don't remember in 2012. Mm -hmm. And I still live in that house. So like, even though like my business has grown, my lifestyle has changed, everything like me and my husband live in the two bedroom apartment of our multifamily. Mm -hmm. And our tenants who live upstairs, cover most of the mortgage. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, they cover all the mortgage sometimes. So it's like, okay, anywhere else that we live, we would probably be paying $2,000 a month to live in the same place or better, right? Yeah. Like we'd be paying $2,000 a month in rent plus, you know, our utilities and whatever else. And we pay zero and sometimes make money depending on the circumstances upstairs over the years. So it's like, yes, we spend a lot of money on the Celtics. We go live in California over the summer or we whatever, but like we also, you know, don't have, you know, a nice single family house where, you know, we don't have to worry about our tenants like coming downstairs at two in the morning where the, you know, and waking up the dogs and then barking or whatever. Like there's a give and take, right? (laughs) Of like, Mm Sometimes it's like, oh, this kind of sucks to live in, you know, inside like a multifamily and it kind of feels like, yeah, maybe we want more space. Maybe we don't want to live in Lindsay anymore. Maybe we don't, whatever. But in general, we love where we live a lot more than like the cost of, you know, moving. Like we don't hate it enough to want to spend (laughs) $2,000 a month to live somewhere else. Right? Right. Yeah. So it's lifestyle choices. And I think that like people need to keep that in, in mind is like with your business and with your personal life, like don't let people judge what you're spending money on or how you're spending money. I think one of the benefits of like working with somebody like me is that at least you have some kind of perspective, you know what I mean? So instead Mm -hmm. of feeling like, oh my God, I'm spending so much or so little compared to somebody else, then you actually get like the level set of like, actually, like I work with X number of other people who are almost exactly like your profile. And like, this is why it appears like they have so much more money than you because they're doing this, Mm -hmm. this and that. Do you want to do this, this and that too? And they're like, now I want to have Celtics tickets or whatever. (laughs) And then I'm like, okay, I don't care. You know, like you can't care. So anyway, I just thought that that was important to say because everyone has their shit. And like, I couldn't have the Celtics season tickets and go to California and live in, you know, a four bedroom, two bathroom house, wherever, which yeah. is what a lot of people do instead of what we're doing at our age. No, I totally agree. And, and I think we've talked about this before. I, we did the exact same thing, bought us, bought a two family house around the same time back when you could afford such a thing in Boston, sort of. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And now 
yeah, we live in a small apartment technically, but you know what? We're still in the city, which was important to me and to, to us as a family. And we're not paying, yeah, we're not paying the rental prices or mortgage prices for a whole house of being in the city. So it's so worth it, I think. And it's the reason we've been able to do other things, which I just think is, I think that's like one of the smartest things, to be honest, that that I have done <laughs> when it comes to yeah. money. Um, and yeah, sometimes you're like, wow, it would be nice to be able to like go downstairs to make my coffee in the morning without waking up my whole family and like being able, <laughs> be able to get more than 10 feet away from people in the house. <laughs> and you don't get that when you're all in a one, one floor apartment, but you know, it's, is it worth paying? Like, I think it would be more than $2,000. Is it worth paying? Yeah. $2,500, $3,000 a month or whatever for a mortgage for a separate house, just to have a little more space right now. It's not for us, you know, maybe eventually, or maybe if there were more kids or something, but yeah, yeah right now it makes so much sense and it, and it frees the money up to be somewhere else. So I want to ask you like one more thing because we didn't talk that much about like investing. And I think that is something. So like, if I think a lot of people have, you know, a business that's maybe even at least pretty successful, they're bringing in, you know, whatever, let's say like $50,000. Let's say somebody's bringing in like 50 to $80,000 or something. So it's like, it's counts as their salary. It's covering their, you know, expenses. What about, but, but, but what if they haven't started in really investing in anything yet and don't really know where to start? Like, do you tell people to like go out and buy some stocks or, like, are there certain kind of investments or do you recommend prop? I mean, I know it depends obviously so much on the situation and the person, like, which I feel like is like what you've totally driven home this whole conversation. So, you know, I don't know. Do you have any kind of basic, I don't know, ground level, like this is what you would say somebody should do if they're first looking into just trying to invest more so that they're making the money work more for them? Yeah. I mean, okay. So I know everyone wants investments because it's sexy. What I will or you say, can say, you can say we don't need to. I mean, I don't, no, no, no. I, don't, I, I, I think it's important. Okay. Um, but I also think that like my caveat is only invest money. If you know that you are not going to touch that money for anything like, okay. So for example, somebody who makes $50,000 a year, so 3% of that is $1,500. So that's $28.84 a week. So it's like, okay, so if somebody works at a job, like most employers who offer a 401k and who offer a 401k match, or not most, but many employers who offer a 401k and a 401k match, like we'll do like a 3% match. So it's really easy or it's easier when somebody has like a stable income or stable paycheck to say, okay, well, I at least want to get the free money from my employer. So I'll do 3% of my pay. If you were making $50,000 at a job, you'd probably put 3% of your pay to get the 3% from your employer. And that 3% of your pay that you put in, you know, if you put in a regular 401k, you also get a tax deduction for doing that. So it's like a double whammy. Like you're saving your $1,500 for retirement. You're getting $1,500 free from your employer. So like 3000 total is going towards retirement. Plus you're getting a $1,500 tax deduction. So that's like a common scenario, right? But somebody who makes $50,000 in their business might not even invest 3% like for themselves, right? Like mm-hmm. they might not put $1,500 into an IRA or a step IRA or a solo 401k or whatever they have, like many of them, many people who have small businesses, like don't even have a retirement account, right? Because they feel like they're not making enough to. So what I would say is that if you are going to invest, 
whether it's investing in a retirement account or investing in a regular account, make sure that the money that you're investing, you're really saying goodbye to. Like you probably spend $28.84 in your business on crap that you do not need or like mm-hmm. want or wouldn't even realize. You know what I mean? Like you don't yeah, even like you spend subscribed something you subscribed to a year ago and it's been coming out automatically. Yeah. I think oh my I have God, memberships Adobe. to like three different things that I charge that I pay at least $30 a month for. And I don't even ever log into whatever it was. Totally. Adobe stock was that for me. I'm like, Oh my God, twenty nine ninety nine. Like in like three years. Um, so yeah, so you'd spend $30 a week in your business anyway. Right. So you don't have to do $30 every week because I know there's this whole thing, well, this week I might not make any money. But if you know that you're going to make 50 grand a year, you could, knowing that 3% of 50 grand is about 28.84 a week, you could every week look at what you made for the week and take 3%, like just do a calculation of like you made 100 bucks this week, do $100 times 0.03, which is 3%, and it's $3. So if you make $100 this week, you put $3 into Mm -hmm. your investment or like into a separate account that you're planning on investing. Mm -hmm. If you made a thousand dollars then that means you do $30, which is more than the 2884. So it's every week or, or it's probably easier to do it every week than every month because if you have a good month, it's going to be very, very painful. Even though it's the same 3%, putting $3 into an account is different than putting 3000 or whatever. I'm not saying that your 3% would be 3000, but it's easier to do it by week, I think, psychologically than to do it by month. But take your 3% and put it into an account and just try to do that for a little bit and like really don't touch it, right? I think most people, the common, most small businesses, the thing that they do most commonly is to end up opening an IRA or like a SEP IRA. It's the same. There's just different contribution limits. But like an IRA is a Tell us why it's bad because I'm pretty sure that's what I have. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no. It's not bad. So so, um, an IRA works just like a 401k. There's just different contribution limits. And it's like there's no like administrative expenses really for you to open it. So most of the time when you're making money in your business, you make money for the year, like you make money all year in 2020, and then you go have your accountant file your business taxes. And then they say, oh, since you didn't pay quarterlies all year, like you owe, you know, $10,000 in taxes. And you're like, $10,000. And they're like, but if you put $2,000 into a retirement account, then you only owe 8,000. I'm just making these numbers up. That's not actually how it goes, but it's something like that. It's like- Is that a thing? Nobody ever told me that. Oh my God. Yeah, that's a thing. So- I mean, they're probably just automatically doing it. So if you have a traditional IRA or a SEP IRA, not a Roth, then any money that you put inside the IRA is a tax deduction. So, and it's based on your tax bracket. So if you put $10,000 into your IRA and you're in the 25% federal tax bracket, then putting that $10,000 in your retirement account means that you will pay $2,500 less in taxes that year. So- Mm -hmm. Now you only owe $7,500 or whatever. Like if you owe $10,000 in taxes and you put $10,000 in a retirement account, then now you're only owing $7,500. It's saving you $2,500 in your taxes. You have to be able to come up with the tax money and the money to put in your retirement account to be able to do it. But that's where I see a lot of my clients like starting to save money or like why they have retirement accounts and they're small usually is because their accountant says, 
you should put this much money in because then it will save you this much money on taxes. So the reason I'm telling you this is because in this scenario, the $50,000 a year earner is going to put about $1,500 into their retirement account or into like an account for investing. It could just be a regular savings account while you're just starting to accumulate the money. And that $1,500, if you actually do save it, if you ended up putting it into a retirement account, that $1,500 becomes a tax deduction. So if you go and put that in your retirement account, then it reduces your taxable income by $1,500. So you'll end up saving some money on taxes and how much depends on how much you made and what tax bracket you're in. So the reason why I'm saying that you might put it into a separate like savings account before you do it is that what you might want to do is wait until tax time comes around and see how much, like you can ask your accountant, hey, I put $1,500 aside into an account that I was planning on investing. You know, does it make sense for me to put it into a traditional IRA? And they'll tell you like, well, it will save you this much on taxes. If you putting your $1,500 into a traditional IRA only saves you a hundred bucks in taxes, you might choose instead to invest it in not a retirement account because you might not want to put in an account that you can only touch when you're 59 and a half, or you might want to put it into a Roth IRA, which is a retirement account that where the money can grow tax free. And so oh. there are a bunch of different options. But with the Roth IRA, you don't get any tax deduction on it. So like, oh, that might be the that might be what I have. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> I mean that's, that's I just better. got really excited about tax this deduction. tax thing for a minute. I was like, wait a minute, I've probably already overpaid my taxes. No. So I mean, this is like going back to like, what's the right answer for you? It's like right. I don't know what the right answer for you is, but I know that if you're committing to put, you know, if you're making fifty thousand dollars and you're committing to put at least three percent into investments you can put it in a retirement account and you can put it in one with tax deduction now, or you can put it in one with tax benefits later, depending on the situation, or you can put in a non-retirement account and that can be like mid range money. Like that can be, I'm putting away this $1,500 and I want it to grow, but I might want to use it to buy another investment property in 10 years. So I don't want it tied up for retirement, but I still want it to grow. Mm. The, the reason why I'm saying like make sure that you're not going to touch this money is because if you were to go out to lunch every week for the next year, you'd spend $30 without even thinking about it and you can never claw that money back. But if you put money in a retirement account or an investment account, then you know that it's there. So if you're putting, if you only have 1500 in there, then you probably won't cash it out unless you're desperate, desperate. But if you're doing more than that or you're like investing over time and like you have 10 grand in there, if you don't have an emergency fund or like any kind of buffer and something happens in your business, the first place you're going to go is into your retirement account or into that investment account that you opened. And it's going to be at a random time because you need money when you need money. You don't need money when the stock market is up necessarily. You don't need money when like it's the most advantageous from a tax perspective for you to take it out or not take it out. And so if you cash money out of a retirement account early, you have to pay a 10% penalty and taxes on that money. So you, depending on whether the money grew or you lost money before you cashed it out, you could be much, much worse off or just worse off, or just even than what you, you know what I mean? Like, it could be bad that you cash it out when you cash it out, because now you're dealing with the penalty and taxes, which is going right. to increase your taxes for that year. And if it's a regular investment account, how regular investment accounts work is that 
if you hold the investment for longer than a year, then you get to pay long-term capital gains on the growth instead of short-term capital gains. Short-term capital gains mean that the money, that the growth is taxed at your tax bracket. If you have a good year or your spouse has a good year and you need the money anyway, then you'll be paying more taxes on the growth if you've waited less than a year. But you might not be able to wait more than a year if you're in a pinch. And so the whole thing is, is that once you invest money, you have to really pretend that it's not there. But it's hard to do that if you don't have any kind of cushion or emergency fund, because if you don't have an emergency fund and you really need money, you're probably going to put it on a credit card or do something else. And if your credit card interest rate is 20% and your investments aren't really growing, because who knows when this time is, then you're probably going to be like, well, my investments didn't really grow anyway, or the money didn't really grow mm -hmm. anyway. I'd rather take the money now than pay 20% on my credit card. And like, there's always, I'm not saying that that's the wrong decision to cash it out. That might be the right decision because of the predicament that you find yourself in. But that's why it's really important to like, A, have accountability so that you have somebody who can tell you like, hey, remember, we're not touching that or like hold you accountable to say like, well, why, what did you do with your emergency fund? Like, or did you overspend in your business this month or whatever? Not to make you feel guilty, but to like help you understand that like you're kind of making decisions that are hurting you financially instead of helping you. And it's not neutral, you know, like it's not just like, oh, well, I'm, I need to do this because whatever. Like it's okay. You need to do this. And here's the implication of it. You did a great job saving $1,500, but actually you only have $800 to show for it because you really didn't plan well. And maybe it was too premature for you to be investing. So I think that like something that helps is making sure that you have a business system. So I like Profit First a lot. Um, there's a book called Profit First by this guy, Mike Michalowicz. It's really excellent if you have not read it yet, listeners. I'll put that um, in the show notes. Yeah, so that is really good because it forces you to kind of, just like I said, you know, if you make $100 this this week, you save $3. If you make 1000 you save 30 And the percent that you save, to, that you invest, is based on what you made. Profit First kind of works the same way. If you make $1,000 this week um, or this month, then you allocate this percent to taxes, this percent is how much you allocate to paying yourself, this is how much goes to the business expense account, and this is how much goes to profit. And in the Profit First method, maybe you'll use some of your profit to go towards investments, you know, but that's a way to make it so that you're not always so skinny and to like hold yourself accountable to what you're really earning, how you're really spending, taking a critical look at your business expenses, but hopefully there is some left over. For most people, it's not like, what stock should I buy or what should I invest in? For most people, it is getting the money into an account to begin with, like getting money that you're not going to touch into an investment account and then picking the right kind of account. So is it mm -hmm. this type of retirement account or this type of retirement account or that type of retirement account? Is it, you know, a, just a regular investment account? If so, is it in, you know, what can you do with it? Some, some different accounts you can buy real estate in. So you can buy different things. And then it's okay, you know, what funds or what stocks or whatever. It's kind of, if we're talking about $100, then like, even if you pick a stock that has a 500% return, like, sorry, that's not going to change your life. You still have to go to work tomorrow and you're not retiring. So it doesn't really matter, even though that's unpopular to say. 
But over time, over time, you might be able to quit <laughs> or retire. Right. Right. But it sounds like you're saying you should have like an emergency fund first so that you're not going to be tempted to touch that. Can you just mention like, what is there like a, do you, I've heard people say like, you should have like six months of um, bills or whatever, or, like three months of like all of your expenses. Like what do you recommend for people to have an emergency fund before they even begin to save for something else like that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to have an emergency fund for personal before you have an emergency fund for your business. If you're a small business owner and that's because your business is going to do what it does but what often happens is when people get into a pinch like with their business then they pull money from personal and vice versa I think that if you can pay your basic necessity expenses regardless of what your business is doing then that gives you a lot more freedom and flexibility and gets you out of that like whole meshing business and personal thing Mm -hmm. so An emergency fund ideally is six to 12 months of your like what I call noodle budget, which is like you're like if you were eating ramen, like if you knew that you lost your job tomorrow or like all your you lost all your clients tomorrow, you wouldn't spend money the same way as you're spending money now. But six months, six. So this is where it goes back to the to the owning a two family house thing. I mean, six to 12 months, I'd have to assume that I also don't have any tenants during that time and have six to 12 months of mortgage payment saved? Because that just sounds impossible to even comprehend. Well, well, it depends. Like, it depends on what's the what's recent history, right? So like, if your tenants have paid you on time all the time for like the last eight months, and like, you've only ever been empty for one or two months out of a year or something in between tenants, and your tenants are on a lease and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Or like you have family renting from you, I have some clients have family renting from them or whatever, then like your six to 12 months is going to look really, really different than somebody who actually is in a single family and has a mortgage. So like, what I would say is, is that assume first that like, assuming that your rental income is stable, and that you don't pay for housing, whatever your, your noodle budget might be, your utilities, groceries, you know, your health insurance costs, whatever, like whatever you would pay if like you or your husband like got laid off tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What's, what's six to 12 months of that? And like shoot, start shooting to save for six months. And then once you get six months worth, then it's like, do you want 12 months or not? If you look at six months worth and you're like, okay, six months worth, you know, if my tenants didn't pay me for a month or two, you know, six months worth would only last me three months or Mm. two months if I had to pay, you know, all my basic expenses plus the mortgage by myself, you know, then you might really work towards 12 months knowing that 12 months of your basic budget actually covers you for six months total if your tenants didn't pay. So it's all subjective, right? Like it's like mm-hmm. what you want is that if you have an emergency situation, you don't have to put stuff on a credit card and you don't have to like ruin your, not ruin your business, but you don't have to like dig into like your business account or like change, change something substantial in your business. You don't have to fire your employee because it's make their payroll or eat or stay right. in your house or whatever. Right. So emergency fund, is usually six to 12 months of expenses for like somebody who has a stable paycheck. People will say like three to six months of expenses. I mean, people get laid off all the time, lose their jobs, companies go out of business. Like just because you have a paycheck does not necessarily mean that you are guaranteed your pay. So I think six to 12 months is a good goal. You don't have to get it tomorrow, but like knowing that you want that, I mean, if you have nothing in emergency fund, then like, 
start with a thousand dollars, start with five thousand dollars, like whatever is like meaningful to you. I mean, some people will say like a thousand dollars, like I can pull a thousand dollars out of anywhere. It's like, okay, well then why don't you have that in a savings account? That, <laughs> like, why don't you have a savings account that has a thousand dollars in it that you never touch then? Just put it there if it's yeah, that easy. Makes you feel better. You know, and then throw 50 bucks a week to it or you know, 50 bucks a month to it, like whatever you can do. And then on your business side, like the benefit of having a system and like building up money in your business checking account or having business savings or emergency fund is that then you can get to a point where no matter what happens, if you have a bad month or whatever, you don't have to change what you're doing. Like if you were planning to upgrade your website and do a new photo shoot and do whatever, and you were planning on spending, you know, five grand or 10 grand on doing something like that, you're going to revamp all your branding or whatever. And then all of a sudden, like you lose the client, you know, you can get that client back, but you can't get that client back tomorrow. Are you scrambling to like cancel your photo shoot and see if you can recover what like are now, now are you stressed out that like you made that business decision, even though you've been planning it for six months? Like, right. yeah, probably if you don't have an emergency fund or like if you don't have extra cushion cushion in your business accounts but if you do have extra cushion in your business accounts and you know your rent still paid and the thousand dollars a month or two thousand dollars a month that your family relies on coming in from your business is still coming in because you can still transfer the money from your business to personal and technically pay yourself even until you get another client in a month or two then great and so like having that cushion is more so that you are not scrambling to try to like take money from somewhere, like getting a cash advance or charging on your credit card. And now your business credit card is maxed out and you're stressed out because you're feeling like you really can't do anything and you're feeling guilty and you're paying interest. And like you end up in this spiral that like doesn't need to be if you just had some extra cushion. And so it's about being able to cover the essentials regardless of what happens. And you can have that kind of buffer in your business account and you can have that amount of buffer in your personal account and they should be separate. But it should really be like what covers things that you cannot cut out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think that's one thing we can all work on doing like right now is just go through your accounts, check the amounts, check what you have in the savings. Do you have a plan for building up that buffer if you don't feel like it's enough? And then think about what the next step will be. Like then are you going to also be saving something like what you said, like $30 a week, which feels so reasonable for some kind of investment down the line. Once you get there, I almost feel like you could probably save that even while you're building up a emergency account or like, you know, put something because if you think about it that way, it's really not that much. And at least you're getting something going. So I feel like we should um, all go through and do that. Like today, if we, if you aren't already, I'm sure some people are totally all set on this and they're like, yeah, I've already got all that. But I feel like a lot of people listening are going to be like, oh yeah, I should probably check that. (laughs) Or just know right now they don't have all of that stuff set. So yeah. I mean, to be honest, like I see a lot of people's financials. So like even people who don't become clients, like part of my intake process is that people have to come you know, to my office or send in advance if we're meeting via Zoom for the intake. They have to send like their tax returns, their pay stubs, their profit and loss, like all of their financials in advance before they even hire me or I Mm. invite them to work together because we take a look at their money. And you would be shocked that like, it's actually probably not shocking, but everyone thinks that everybody else has their finances in order and they don't. So it's like everyone (laughs) has their own shit. Like the person who has $200,000 in cash, who has like a $200,000 emergency fund because like they get big bonuses at their job and they don't spend them and they kind of just hoard them but they're not like that person like 
doesn't have as much money for retirement as you would think, or they mm -hmm. have like a bigger mortgage or whatever, like everyone's financial situation, like it's very rare that I see somebody who has like even like a seven out of 10, like financial house in order. Yeah. So it's like, start work. Yeah. Start working on your emergency fund. That's fine. It's good to have an emergency fund. But like, even once you get your emergency fund in place, even if you have that all together, then it's like, okay, well, are you saving to retirement? And if you are saving to retirement, are you just saving what your accountant tells you just to reduce your taxes a bit? Or are you saving, you know, 5% or 10% or 15% if that's what you would need to save to meet your goals? Like, and it is whatever your goals are. But like many people don't even sit down and talk about their goals and put them on paper because they're like, either they haven't really thought about it or talked about it with their spouse, or they really don't know if it's achievable. So they just don't even talk about it. And so it's like, why don't you put those big goals down? Like sometimes what you think is unachievable, if you write the goal down and then actually like reverse engineer it, then it's like, oh, all I would have to do, like I'm already saving $250 a week towards retirement. I'm saving $1,000 a month. But if I just saved $300 or $350 a week instead, you know, I would be able to retire five years earlier or wow, I'd be able to like yeah. take the vacation that we want to every year or whatever. And it's like people underestimate like what it actually takes to meet their goals and business owners in particular, like really do not save as much as employees. And like often mm -hmm. small businesses like do end up making more money, like more money runs through their hands, but they spend it on different things or they're not saving or investing it. Like the, mm -hmm. I, I know you know, many of my clients who are like in their 30s are maxing out their 401k because like that's just like what they've been doing for a mm -hmm. long time. And it's like the maximum for your 401k is like $20,000 a year and they're getting a match from their employer. And it's like, and they're still worried. It's 19500 or actually it's 20500 now, sorry. And so they're doing that. They're putting like, you know, they're making a hundred grand or 150 grand or whatever. And they're putting like a huge percentage. They're putting over a thousand dollars a month into their 401k. And then their employer is also putting money into their 401k. There aren't mm. a lot of small business owners putting, you know, $1,500 a month into their retirement plans or more, you know, like you are the business, but like the business isn't putting away money for you. Like, right. you know, like fidelity is putting for your friend who works there or whatever. So yeah. it's like thinking about those kind of things. It's like, it's not saying that you have to, but like even people who are like, yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah. I have some money socked away and yeah, I have a couple properties and yeah, I have whatever. It's like, yeah, you hear that, but then it's like, but what are your actual goals? And a lot of small business people like are dreamers like I am, like, you know, you think that you can achieve things and get, you know, you have ideas of like what you want for your future and like what you want for your lifestyle that might be different than like the regular W-2 employee that doesn't have control over making so much more. And so you have all these ideas and like, you're kind of afraid to say them out loud, but until you say them out loud, you won't know how to get there. And you actually, if you can get your money under control, like you're probably in the best possible position to be able to get there if you're consistent with, you know, because you have the control to be able to do whatever you want or you have the you have. Yeah, you have the power to be able to change your business or bring in more money or do whatever you want in order to make sure you can get there. Totally. You can do yeah. a launch. You can charge, you know, you can increase your pricing. You can take on an extra client or two. You can consult. You can whatever. It's like there's always an opportunity for something. It's just like a different mindset, right? It's like yeah. instead of being like, oh, my God, I suck. I can't do any of this. It's like actually like 
maybe I'm not going to be a millionaire, but like, it's a lot easier for me to make more money than other people. And when that mm -hmm. more money does come, like, let me make sure that I'm empowered to do something with it. Because so much of having your money working harder is just making conscious decisions when it comes in <laughs> to do right. something. Yeah, totally. No, I'm going to, I need to think about some goals too. I feel like I set some goals so long ago and now like most of them have like happened and I kind of never have sat back down to, to do new ones. And I never, like when I set up whatever I have, like a <laughs> Roth IRA or something, I was like, well, this is something I need to do. And, and I was kind of in a position where I was like, I don't feel like I can spare that much money every month though. So I set it up really minimally just to start getting used to doing it and just set it like automatic like payments into it. And then kind of like just kept upping it like every whatever, a couple months or every couple every year or something, like as I felt like I was making more money. And now I have like a couple hundred dollars go into it every month or something, but it's not based. It was just based on like what I felt like I could spare kind of, I never really yeah. reverse engineered it by like, okay, what do I want to be able to do with this at a certain point in time and how much, and, and it's exactly what you said. Like, what if I look at it now and I'm like, okay, if I had just been putting like $50 a month more or a hundred dollars a month more a month starting like right now, I'd have way more when I'm 50. And I just never bothered yeah. to think about that. Cause I was like, eh, this is working. And you know, at whatever point, like probably the beginning of the year, I said, I'll do this amount now and was not basing it on anything at all. So yep. I'm going to go look at that for sure. Some other tools that are valuable is like, first of all, sometimes when you set up those things, then like you'll get told by like your advisor or by like the company that you set it up with, if it's an auto thing, an auto funding thing that they can only do it once a month or something, like you can only set it up mm -hmm. to be once a month, otherwise you have to mail checks. Often they can set up like multiple monthly contributions. So if it's like, it's too painful to have $500 come out of your account all at once, you can have them do like four monthly contributions, like on the first, the seventh, the 15th, the 20, whatever. So you can set that up to be like a hundred bucks or 200 bucks or whatever. Or you can do like your one big contribution. But then like, if you're used to already putting yeah. $400 a month, you could do like an extra $50, like on the 15th or like you can change it that way. That's such Another, a good idea. Sneak a little extra when you won't notice on days that I know I'm going to be paying myself anyways or something. So it won't feel yeah. like extra. I love that. Another tool that I like is there's this app called Capital. I don't know if it's still free or not, but it's Capital, but with a Q. Okay. So it's Q is in Queen okay. and then Capital. Show notes too. And um, that, like, you link your personal checking account, and then it basically pays attention to your behaviors for, like, the first, like, month or so. So it sees, like, you go to Starbucks, you buy lunch, you buy whatever, and it, like, sees how you spend and when your bills are due. And then it kind of tries to sneakily, like, either round up the change or, like, take an extra 20 bucks or 5 bucks or 30 cents or whatever. So I can't tell you how many times I've just, like, randomly set that up. And then it's like, oh, my God, somehow I have, like, $4,000. So I didn't even know where it came from. But it's because wow. it looks like because it looks like the things, like, you know, people, we just spend money. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts. It's like you go to the grocery <laughs> store and it's 50 bucks or 70 bucks or it's 100 or whatever. And then you're, like, ordering something from Amazon. You have all, I have all these Amazon charges all the time. And it's like $13, $17, 20 something dollars. Like, I never mm -hmm. go to the store anymore. Mm-hmm. And so they just see how you're spending and then they do a couple more of those. And you can also say like, every time I buy something, round up to the next $1 or round up to the next 50 cents or the next $5. And so it like transfers that money out of your checking account into the app and you can set up different goals in the app. So you can have like a retirement, a whatever, you know, 40th birthday party or whatever. 
So that can be helpful too if it's really hard for you to commit to X amount every week or every month and you can have like a sneaky thing like that. That is sometimes helpful. But I think that like the key thing with the goals is like make sure that the goals are longer term like people and make sure that they're not around income. Like people tend to say like, I want to make $250,000 this year. And it's like, for what? Like, what is that going to do? Is that going to mean that you have more money in your savings account? Is that going to mean that you can put more money away for retirement? Does that mean that you can take a week off? Like, what is the point of this? How is this impacting your lifestyle and like allowing you to change things and like make your big goals like a three-year or five-year goal so that you actually have to save and invest to get there and then it's not just like, oh, well, I had a good week or a good month. So like, yeah, now I have the money for the down payment on that car. Because like then you don't have something to hold you into. You can change your goal at any time but you want it to be big enough that like you have to try a little bit you know what I mean to like be on track to get there I think is important yeah I know that totally makes sense I'm gonna look into that app that sounds fun I I mean I know you're gonna do it too (laughs) I do it all the time Totally. I love that I love ways to I mean there's nothing better than saving without realizing you're saving right yeah I'm feeling so tired Yay! I feel like I want to go do all these things. Um, and again, I'm like one of those people where I feel like I was doing pretty good. Like, I, I still think, I mean, I, you're not making me feel you bad. You probably but, are. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure that there's more, you know, just being more intentional with it, I think is so, so important. And I like preach that in every piece of business and life usually. Uh, but I feel like money is probably the one thing. I mean, in again, like i totally all about like goals in the business and like I know exactly how much I'm making and things like that but working mm-hmm. backwards for some of those personal goals for like what do I want to have when I'm like 50 like those types of things I think I need to revisit and I think that's so important so I'm so glad we talked today I want to I feel like we have to wrap this up but I always ask people just two kind of more businessy things or more more general businessy things um, at the end of every interview so I want to ask what's one thing from a business standpoint that you wish you had known more about when you first started your business probably list building mm-hmm Just in that when I first started my business, since I was doing the referral thing, I was getting clients the referral way, but I was still kind of like dabbling in other things, in like speaking and like doing workshops and whatever. And I feel like I did so much like free speaking and workshops and all of this stuff and like gathered people's emails, but didn't have a system for them and didn't really know what I was Mm. doing with it and didn't have like a, so it's like now down the line, then down the line when like I've like sold a boot camp and like sold some workshops. I don't do any of that now, but just in recent years, I've done stuff like that. And it's like, dang it, if I had just kept in touch with and built my list, even though I wasn't, I wasn't focused on it because that's not where my clients were coming from. Right. But I wish that I had that because it is so valuable to like have an engaged list. And a lot of people like were like, oh, I'm interested in hearing stuff from you or I'm interested in hearing about something. Like after I spoke, I like had some kind of like rapport and, you know, like you have some like kind of capital with those people by like they they saw you speak on the stage and then they never hear anything from you and it's like if you could maybe they're not in a place to work with me but then if I was running a course that was two hundred dollars and I could just be like hey if you're interested in up leveling your money game like I keep feeling like it could have been like an easy additional income stream but maybe it wouldn't have been easy because I would have had to actually build my (laughs) but you know what I'm saying so that was one thing that I wish that I paid more attention to and didn't and now I feel so lost with all that stuff and I'm not doing it 
still. <laughs> that, that's good. <laughs> good, to, good to keep in mind. And the last thing I ask is, is there one thing you'd like to share with other entrepreneurs as they're going along their journey? It can be kind of the finance type of stuff, or it can be just like general business, like advice. I think it's just like, don't be afraid to really build a business that supports the lifestyle that you want. Like, I think that what I heard a lot is like in different like business planning courses and stuff, it's like build your ideal day, build your ideal life. Like, you know, when you build like your ideal mm -hmm. count schedule of like when you work and not and don't and like that didn't really work for me very well. But like coming from an industry where a lot of people think that they have to be at their clients beck and call all the time, almost like a realtor, like I have to work Saturdays and Sundays, I have to work nights, I have to work every day, like I don't do any of that. Like I never work on the mm. weekends and I take a month or two off at a time. And like most people in my industry don't do that because they feel like they can't. So like, but that's something that I really, really, really wanted. Like I really wanted to be able to like, I didn't always want to take summers off. I mean, my husband's a teacher and has summers off. So that's where that came from. But just mm -hmm. like having the flexibility to go on vacation for a month and not have your business fall apart. I always wanted that. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I was told that I couldn't have. So I guess like my advice is like, if you want something that's a lifestyle thing, like you want to be able to, you know, live half the year in a different state or country or whatever, like, you can engineer your business to support whatever your crazy goal or dream is. And if you have the right clients and you can still deliver on your model by doing that, like your clients will support you. Like your clients care what you give them, right? Like that you have a good product, right? That you have mm -hmm. a good, that you, that you help them achieve whatever their goal is in hiring you. They don't care if your butt is in the office from eight to five, Monday through Saturday. They don't. So I think that it's more like be open and be creative about like your business structure and like, don't be afraid to like push things a little bit to like bend the rules and like push whatever the perspective is of what's allowed yeah, uh, in I building a that. business that supports your life. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so good. I think that's such good advice. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Tell people where they can find you if they want to find more information, connect with you online. And you really casually mentioned a book for one second. So can you tell people what if somebody wants to buy that? Can they do that? Yes. So you can find me. My website is peterkinfinancial.com. That has a little bit more about me and how I work with clients. If you're interested in a discovery call with me, which is just like a 20 minute phone call to see if it makes sense to do a free consult, you can book that on my website. It's not a sales call or anything. It's literally just the getting to know each other to see if it makes sense to do a consultation. My book is called If You Love Your Family, Save Like It. I believe it is available on Amazon. It's available in Kindle on Amazon for 99 cents right now. So if you're interested in reading that, that is a really good deal. That's I don't amazing. know how much the physical book is. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we will look it up and put something about it in the show notes. Okay. And then, yeah, I'm on Instagram at Peterkin Financial. I think that's it. If you want, if you like have an organization or like want, you know, copies of my book for somebody that you care about or for your employees or something and you want to buy more than one, then you can reach out to me via my website or by email. And I'm happy to coordinate something. I have like a million copies of my book at my office. So. Awesome. At that really useful office. Out. The office <laughs> is basically like my the, book, office the storage book unit. center. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> at least you're getting some use out of it. I know, right? Seriously. Uh, 
I love it. Okay. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming on. I bet a lot of people are going to be reaching out to you. So keep me posted with how that goes. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on today. I guess we will connect soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast. So you won't miss the next episode and leave a review on iTunes so other people will be able to find us easily. Also, don't be shy to get in touch with me or anyone you heard on this show. We're all about connecting and our Instagram handles and contact links are always in the show notes. If you have questions or ideas for a future episode or you want to submit a guest or to see those show notes, you can do all of that online at quotablemediaco.com slash podcast. One other thing. Join other listeners on Facebook and Instagram by searching female millennial entrepreneurs and joining us there. Talk to you soon and see you there.